Hi there, welcome to season two of the Digital Insurance Pint podcast. I'm Tom Reed, and as always, I'm joined by Adam Mitchell, CEO of Michelin Whale, Steve Earle, CEO of Cheap Insurance, Jeff Roy, CEO of Excalibur Insurance, someone just popped the top there, and our first guest of the season, Graham Haig from Wawanisa. Graham, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure to have you. Now, I'm not aware of anybody in the industry who doesn't know who you are, but just for that, you know, maybe one or two of our listeners who don't know who you are, could you just give us a quick intro, Graham, uh, about yourself? You bet. So Graham Haig, uh, Vice President of Broker Distribution for Wonisa Insurance. Uh, and I've been in the business for over 25 years, born and raised in the Vancouver area, moved to Winnipeg for Wonisa about five years ago, and have been in the uh, business development and broker distribution part of the business now for five years. So and uh, enjoying it very much. And a distinguished panel here with uh, uh, the four of you. Not very intimidating, but distinguished. <laughs> you may. Okay, that's a great background, Graham, but we're gonna, we're gonna dig into that a little bit more. So we got some speed round questions here for you. All so right. Let's go. First one, who's your favorite Canadian band of all time? Oh, it's the hip. <laughs> well, I, I was, I, well, I think Jeff just died of a heart attack. <laughs> Did he? I think he just fell off his chair. All right. One's gone already. <laughs> you know, if we had some more sponsors, we'd have a better budget. We could take care of these things. Graham, what's two for beer? What are you drinking? So you'll get a chuckle out of this. So my favorite beer is actually Miller Lite. Oh. Speaking of beer, just, uh, in honor of COVID-19, I've got a Corona going here. Let's oh, very cool. Got go. Let's see what else got going. I have I have a very old keg of land shark out of the office. Sweet, Steve. Uh, I have Garrison Brewery called Little Juicy. Garrison is a client of mine. Excellent Atlantic Canadian beer. Oh, awesome. very nice. Awesome. What's your high school nickname? Hot Rod. Middle name's <laughs> Roger. Awesome. And uh, what's your favorite or least favorite part of the industry? I, it'd be the same thing. The people. <laughs> <laughs> Any names uh, in particular you want to share or do you want to move on? <laughs> hey, oh, you know what? We all do business in a, in a similar way. So you, you end up creating uh, pretty close relationships and, and uh, friendships in, in the industry. We also see each other about as often as we see our families and at times of the year even more. And that can get a little much. You're off the top of your head. Name one of the seven dwarfs. Sleepy. Sleepy. If you were given an all-expenses-paid trip to Sarnia, would you take it? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's get into some little more serious questions here. Wawanisa, as I think everybody's seen, is a leading supporter of broker digitization. Why is that? So the quick and simple answer uh, for that is, we want the broker channel to be able to compete across all aspects of the business, including providing a customer experience that looks like a direct operation in terms of efficiency, streamlessness, lim limited friction. We wanna be able to help brokers compete in every part of the Canadian marketplace uh, uh, for insurance. And we think that for certain uh, customers, we think all customers can benefit from efficiencies and, and speed. 
But we do think that certain customers are what some of our competitors might call direct customers. They don't identify as direct. They're just customers and they look for an avenue that will best serve their needs. We believe strongly that by doing things such as participating in the IBAC DX, producing APIs that brokers can consume, and really helping to try and reduce the friction points in, in the channel, we can compete with our broker partners for any customer uh, uh, that exists here in the Canadian marketplace. So you want all your brokers to compete like a direct, the efficiency and speed and so on. How are we doing? So my, my comment to that would be, I would suggest that brokers led insurers, the traditional insurer uh, in most cases. Now we've spent, in Wawanese's case, $300 million uh, developing our technology platform uh, in order to support the advancements that had come from uh, the more digital brokers. So I think... The, so here's a little bit of the challenge to that is that I would suggest in a lot of ways we have either caught up to or are now catching up to the best digital brokers that are out there and we're able to support them in different ways. What we've now done though is we've bypassed those that haven't invested in technology. And there's a risk here. So for Wawanisa, we acknowledge that and say we played a role in holding back brokers in developing technology because we just didn't have the capabilities ourselves to support it in the past. We think we have a responsibility to try and bring those brokers with us that hadn't done the investment before. So we're going to, we're going to spend some time doing that. That's why you see us on things like the going paperless committee with the IBAO is to make sure that there's a roadmap that will help some of those brokers find their way uh, to becoming more digital. But at some point, there has to be the understanding that either the, the broker has to catch up to where you guys are or has to start developing a roadmap to, uh, to become a more efficient operation or we're going to have to figure out ways to pull them along. Otherwise, we have to, uh, uh, you know, you hate using the word abandon, but there will be some that will have to find other uh, insurance company partners that may be a better fit for them. They're okay competing or providing services in a less uh, advanced manner. Have you guys modeled or do you have a guess on what percentage of the brokerage population is going to make the leap versus not make the leap, um, it, whether it's personal or database or like, do you have any feel for how many are going to be not willing, not able to, to, to advance? So my top 35 brokers in Canada, so Wawanese's top 35 brokers in Canada in the past three years wrote 75% of our new uh, business. Our bottom 30-odd percent of our contracts write an aggregate total of 5% of our volume. So if your question is, what percent of your brokers are, are advanced enough, I would suggest that a lot of those smaller ones have not done the investment. Uh, but then if you talk about percentage of premium, our better larger brokers are are pretty digitally sophisticated or have a, a roadmap to get there. So by premium, it's pretty good. By contract, it's pretty poor. Interesting. 
Wow. Hey, Graham, quickly, uh, you joined what, the, went to move to uh, Winnipeg in about five years ago with the Walmanisa team. Yep. The transition. Tell us what happened. There's been a huge transformation yeah. from Walmanisa the last five years. Uh, we kind of joked that Walmanisa was so far behind. They looked like they were in first place five, six years ago. They were a steady company, reliable, but they weren't known for innovation. And then over the last five years, Walmanisa, light bulb's gone off, and you've went to one of the most innovative broker-friendly companies. You've always been broker-friendly, but your innovation, your cultural shift has just been phenomenal. Let us in. Uh, give us a little bit of your secret sauce or what you saw at your end. Yeah. So why don't I, uh, I'll take you back. So I've been with the organization for 11 years uh, now. And when I first joined the company, I was uh, I put in the vice president of uh, BC in the Yukon role. So an operations role um, uh, for the organization. I did that for my first six years with the company. My first day on the job, and I came from two different companies earlier in my career uh, that were both fairly technology um, advanced. And my first day on the job, somebody dropped off a 500 page report that looked like it, the dot matrix labels <laughs> had been pulled off the sides. And the funny part is there's probably only what, at no more than half of the people that are going to listen to this, that are going to go, what's a dot matrix label. And they're going to have to Google it to figure it out. But we were so backwards there that it, it was, I, I would actually suggest, and, and I know I'd actually don't think anybody will be offended by me saying this at Wawanisa is it was a little embarrassing about where we were from a, a technology position. We'd had a, a failure or two in, in our efforts to modernize our, our systems. And then a number of years ago, we ended up selecting uh, Guidewire as our uh, technology partner. And that was kind of the beginning of it. We knew that we needed to advance. So the way that I've, uh, I've looked at this is I assess our brokers based on whether I believe that they have a successful business strategy that is worthwhile me investing in them for the next number of years. Uh, so if they are doing good work, they have a, a, an effective strategy in place, they're participating in uh, digital distribution efforts, they're paying attention to metrics, they're worried about the, you know, where their business is coming from, they're not just waiting for it to come into the front door. I assess that broker and I'm prepared to do a lot of work with them to support their business and I'll invest in them. I expect brokers to do exactly the same thing with insurance companies. So I expect this group to be assessing the roadmap that Wawanisa has put together to make sure that you're going to invest placing your valuable customers uh, in line with us. So I, I think it was a big part of it was to say, we have to, if we're going to go out there and say, we are going to be the broker centric company in the most broker centric company in Canada, the only way that we can do that, though, too, is by showing them that we're going to invest in, and become advanced in digital support them. Otherwise, we could be broker centric and say it, but you, I wouldn't if I was in your shoes, I wouldn't support me uh, because I don't trust 
that you're going to be a, a successful enterprise for years and, and decades to come. So, it, you know, that was kind of the key driver behind it. I'm going to give kudos to a gentleman some of you have met named Cam uh, Lepke, who's our chief information officer, and he's done great work putting the strategy together. It's a very complicated thing trying to sell an organization on a $300 million IT investment <laughs> that takes five plus years to do. So, you know, a lot of good, uh, uh, good work done by a, a ton of different people in, in, in our organization to drive it forward. But I like where we are uh, today. And uh, our goal is to keep uh, in, impressing our brokers with our, uh, our technology advancements over the coming years. Let's, uh, let's try to hit Graham with some stuff that he isn't already prepared to spew. <laughs> That he doesn't do every day at conventions and all that. Yeah. <laughs> ask your hard questions and, and maybe I'll run out the door as soon as you ask well, them. We, we, we <laughs> want to ask you questions, Graham, that um, you Steve doesn't have a hard don't have a five-minute answer for because you answer them every single time. Here, here's Steve, the captain of the team. Hey, guys, here's what I need you to do. Make more baskets. <laughs> I, uh, I, I need you to score more. There's our plan. Like, yeah. Okay. I'll tell, I'll tell you what, Steve, you think of a hard one. And uh, while you're doing that, I'll throw over to uh, Adam. I know he wants to talk about some more digital stuff. Adam, go ahead. Okay. So you, you, you went on, as Steve said, rambling for five minutes on your last canned answer. So on to the next canned answer. How do you describe how you guys are supporting the, the IBAC DX? Okay. So we're the first insurance company that's put uh, one of our uh, APIs in the reusable data service. Two of them. I've, yeah, two of them now. Yeah. So we've got, uh, we've got a pretty good API suite for personal lines today. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to go aggressively at trying to get in as many as we can, including all the appropriate documentation. We just want to, we want to show again, if we are truly a broker, uh, centric company. Those are kind of things that we should be leading with. And, you know, of course, we want to push some of the others uh, out there to be uh, guilt in, into coming on board. And the reason for that, Adam, is because our, having APIs from one company doesn't really give brokers a ton of benefit. It does take multiple uh, companies to get in there and supporting it uh, for the benefits really to be seen by brokers. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Um, Steve, did you come up with your uh, hard question? I sure did. I sure did. Go, go for it. Western Financial Group. Mm -hmm. Is this a CDL jealousy play that, and, and will Western Financial Group begin acquisitions that, like CBL, just pushes out local buyers by price and everything and begins to assimilate? The same way that CBL has and the board. Okay. I, you know what? That's actually a pretty easy question. I, I'm going to answer a, with the, I, you know, with the, the, the proper way that we look at this is we are an insurance company. We have a division that is a, a brokerage uh, uh, based division, but as in my role and the role of the insurance company is we treat all of our brokers the way that they're supposed to be uh, treated. So if you happen to be a large, digitally sophisticated partner of ours with good growth with us, you're going to get a different tier of service. 
And a couple of those actually happen to be exactly who you're mentioning. So Western Financial Group and BrokerLink are both very large, growing, sophisticated. They got good strategies in place. So my job is to align with that. My other brokers that fit into those categories include uh, a publicly traded company, include a private equity company. Uh, so it's a whole gamut of different enterprises in there. I'm going to flip this back to brokers though, is that you're, you're right. Uh, if you're a publicly traded company, you have access to capital. If you're a private equity company, you have access to capital. If you're a company backed broker, you have access to capital. All those are for the large kind of what you would consider to be glory assets in the broker distribution world. It's going to be hard for somebody outside of that cluster of individuals to, to make some of these acquisitions. So I, I don't have an answer for you other than M&A activity is going to continue on the broker side, the company side, the vendor side, and they're getting to the price point that it's really a, a pretty small set of individuals that have the, the financial wherewithal to make those acquisitions. So what I'm hearing is if I'm a local broker and I perhaps have the opportunity for an acquisition, but there might be some competition, Western Financial Group, as well as CBL. So as a, as a broker-friendly company, I may now be competing with Western Financial Group, CBL, and CBL. So we do a traditional debt financing for brokers to buy other brokers. Okay. We, do, we do a ton yeah. of that financing and we will support local brokers in buying local brokers. I would actually go as far as to suggest in a lot of ways that's actually our preferred avenue because it keeps it truly independent. If you're going to suggest that in a bidding situation uh, where a local broker doesn't decide that they want to keep their enterprise truly independent and sell to another local broker, if they're just going to the market, if a company like a Western or a company like a BrokerLink uh, doesn't make that, that acquisition, could be a cooperators, could be a Desjardins. So I think it's like everything else. You gotta, you gotta pick your potion uh, here. There's a limited number of financially solid enterprises that are gonna be able to pick up the larger ones. The smaller ones though, they, they can go in a variety of different ways. And I would suggest the seller can drive where that, uh, uh, where that sale goes. And still get good money for their business. Okay, my we last all know, question. We all know kind of what they go for, right, Steve? There's yeah, no yeah, I know. Here. Right. It's, so, you're you're going to sell it three to four times uh, uh, revenue. When you finance mm -hmm. for an acquisition, is that good business for your business as it's outperforming your bonds and your other investments? Is it, is it good for your bottom line? My answer to that would be yes. I, I have yet in my career to have a, a non-performing broker loan. So and, and your you broker get, loans are performing better than other things that you Better than have. bonds, 
I, yeah. you know, certainly not, not better than your, your stock investments uh, typically. And we do, uh, we are allowed to uh, have some of our holdings in, in stocks. You guys know all the percentages mm -hmm. that are uh, possible there, but I, yeah, absolutely. In a low interest rate environment, um, our, our broker loans portfolio performs better than our bonds do. We are, we talk up brokers to national bank. We talk up brokers to other, uh, lenders as well too, and use our experiences as an example. Again, we're completely content. We like to see brokers buying brokers. So it's, uh, it's good for us, especially when it's a friendly, one of our brokers making an acquisition. That's great. Like WFG. Yeah. Like WFG, like BrokerLink, <laughs> like, like the folks on this call. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. I'd love yes. to see yes. you guys make some acquisitions. Let's uh, shift gears a bit. Uh, you made a very bold move to leave dealing with, dealing with the aggregators, the insurance hotlines, uh, the lowest rates. What motivated that? And uh, why was Walmart East just want to take a, a real stand on that? We were uh, assessing the performance of uh, some of our brokers in Canada, and we noticed a little bit of a pattern. And, and some of the pattern was that uh, uh, brokers that were using aggregators or lead generators that they didn't control and set the parameters for when they were using third-party uh, uh, tools to provide their leads, we were seeing a deterioration of loss performance. And so we spent a little bit of time kind of digging into to figuring out why. And there's a whole bunch of reasons that you could suggest why that might be the case. There's pressure if you're spending 35 bucks a lead, uh, there's a pressure because of the cost per acquisition measures that everybody needs to meet, um, that you're closing business that, that you perhaps shouldn't or wouldn't. If they just walked in through your front door, you might go, sorry, why don't you go down, down the road to one of my direct competitors and right there. So there was a pressure to, uh, to place business. I think on the auto front, it was very challenging for us in a couple of jurisdictions where we weren't perhaps able to take the actuarially indicated rate required. And it was just pumping in a lot of business that we didn't believe was uh, priced properly. Then we made, well, I made calls off to uh, the British Insurance Brokers Association and, and spoke to them about kind of how their experience went with aggregators and what it did to the market uh, in the UK. And so we made the decision kind of following that that said, our strong preference is that brokers that create their own leads are doing it based on the risk profile that they want to draw into their business and that we can hold them accountable for. Uh, the other part, and this is the hit that I'll have on the aggregators themselves, is they didn't feel, to my review, that they held enough responsibility and accountability for risk quality that they were pitching over the fence to brokers. It was kind of like, not our problem. We let the business go. We pitch it over to the broker. It's then the broker's problem, uh, whether they want to close that or not. And, you know, I didn't think that was necessarily the case. And the, the other pushback was, well, you guys set the rates and pricing. And my answer was, well, no, I don't. I, I work in regulated environments and I can and can't take the rate that I need. So, we didn't feel it was in our best interest at present to be participating for auto uh, leads in an aggregator uh, environment. I would far rather see an Adam Mitchell, a Jeff Roy, a Steve Earle 
develop your own leads and I'll help you do that. Like I will work with you guys to help you develop your own leads because I believe you'll, you'll pick better risk qualities and take ownership for it if you do it yourself. So Graham, with, with our audience, there would be brokers that are interested in building up their digital presence and so on. Sometimes the only way to get there is through buying leads or what would be your word of advice insofar as a broker who wants to look at buying leads or is doing it currently? Yeah. You know, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a mix of stuff. Steve, so I, I would suggest, I, I don't personally have an issue if brokers are using it as kind of an overflow style piece that fills in slow times during the, during the year for them. So if they need some support in, in developing leads at a time where they can't do it organically themselves or, or through other methods, maybe that's an avenue that makes sense. Uh, if you are going to be buying a big volume of leads, here's your, here's your challenge, is that if you don't do the work to risk select appropriately for me as an insurer, it doesn't take long for it to show up in your results with me. And we have targets that we set for our partners and generally we need you know, an unadjusted claims ratio of 60% for, uh, for auto and 50% for property to a hit about 100% for a combined operating ratio. And if our brokers are consistently outside of those metrics for us, just like you look at your metrics for cost per acquisition, if you're outside of our metrics for loss performance, it either requires a rehabilitation effort um, or the potential that you lose your contract with, with an insurer like us. So it's all about risk management at the broker side. Do you want to do the work and will you be prepared to spend more on cost per acquisition than just taking the leads at face value and assuming their quality and just writing whatever you can? Okay, so I've got a quick follow-up question on that uh, for you, Graham, well, actually two-parter. So you did this for a reason. Um, have, how, much, how much of a negative impact has this had on your new business flow and, and you know, is it actually working in the sense that it's benefiting your loss ratio? So from a new business flow, I, I would anticipate that it did hit it uh, a little bit, um, but not materially so. So our efforts on doing the work that we're doing to support brokers through digital initiatives, APIs, like our best digital partners are still growing like gangbusters for us and, and doing so in a good, profitable uh, uh, profitable way. So I like, I like how our uh, growth brokers are performing uh, uh, for us. Um, the other part of the question was the profitability piece. Um, yeah. So my answer to that would be if I look at a couple of the brokers that I do business with that were heavily reliant on uh, leads from the aggregators for us, pretty much every one of them has improved their loss performance uh, with us reasonably significantly and in a fairly short period of time. Awesome. Did their volume go down as a result? 
their volume went down uh, as part of that. Yeah. I, well, when you say it went down, it didn't go down. It just didn't grow at the pace that it was prior to um, uh, prior to the uh, uh, the loss of some of the aggregation uh, leads. Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merged? That's right. I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers. And I said to him, dude, what's up? You realize you're not a VA, right? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're a VE. Look it up on ChatGPT. I encourage you to do that too. He's got forward-facing VEs. VEs that can answer the phone and take questions 30 days in. You say yes to Michael. I want what you have. In 30 days, that's what he delivers. I said, Michael, this is unbelievable. We're strong in the front, but we're really strong in the back end. You provide the external VE for us. We provide the internal VE. I looked at him. I said, buddy, let's do this together. Let's, let's do this. And he looked at me and he put out his hand and like a good solid Cuban American, he said, Jason, I'm committed. Let's do it. And that's what we did. We flew to Columbia. We saw his operation and you need to see it too. Give us a little click at virtual Intel. That's with two L's. That's virtual I N T E L L dot com go check us out see what we're doing high quality ve's mixed with technology delivered right into your agency and you don't have to do all the things that you don't like to do like hiring firing recruiting recreating trying to find processes just there's so much stuff i can't even say it right that's right virtual intel cast certified So it, it came to me when we were on the the West out West topic anyways, and it came across uh, the insurance business uh, wire. I saw it today it was earlier breaking news, but the, the idea of Bel Air and intact deciding to pull out of excess damage out of, out of BC, what are, sort of unscripted here but what 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 are your thoughts on that what's your take so our review of it is the the change that is being made in in uh, British Columbia where you're moving to a no fault auto insurance product uh, you're really changing and and frankly the optional coverages are coming down quite significantly so if you're looking at the broker community out there the broker community is really concerned because they're trying to figure out how many resources do they can they afford to put in place so do they have hours changes and that type of thing so brokers are looking at it in that regards but if you think about it from a company perspective what that means as well too is that the premiums that that you were writing business at are going to drop fairly significantly the no fault component also means that there'll be casualty or liability changes to to it you've then got to navigate an entirely new environment so you're going to have to do technology work product work so you have to revamp your entire product suite you're going to get paid quite considerably less because your revenue is going to be a lot less and it's a market that's really hard to compete in already because of the market share that that an icbc has uh in that place so if i were assessing it as an insurance company so not as answering for intact but as an insurance company that's a lot of work for a diminishing return and that's a hard one for me to suggest that i'd rather do that than invest in other parts of uh of the business in canada and and grow at a higher rate mm -hmm. Excellent. 
Hey, Graham, I was at the uh, IBO uh, online convention last week, and Walmanisa did a segment on how you're digitizing claims. Claims has kind of been the undiscovered territory. Everybody's been looking at quoting, yeah. and the other stuff's always been sexier. But now we realize we can really add value through the claims process. And now that your Guidewire system is is built to the level it's at, you can actually tackle claims. Tell us about how Walmanisa is digitizing claims and uh, what, what cool stuff you're doing and what's going on. Yeah. Well, and you know what, I, where I'm going to start with, though, is that you're talking about digitizing uh, uh, claims. And, um, you know, when, when you, you and this panel, you guys are awesome about pointing out you don't lead with technology. Uh, you, lead with, you lead with people, you, you lead with customer experience, and if technology happens to support that, then you do that. So that's how we see the, the claims process. We really do like uh, uh, the broker advice and advocacy component as being a part of a healthy uh, uh, claims, uh, claims piece. I have the privilege of working with an individual named Aaron Fisher, who is the, uh, the person that was uh, putting on uh, that presentation for you. And she's our, um, uh, uh, our chief claims officer uh, and she's phenomenal. So we now regularly uh, see our net promoter scores at the top of the industry for claims management. It's never perfect, but, we see it really at the top of the industry. And I would suggest that our response in the last couple of years to cat loss events has been, uh, has been phenomenal. And we see that pretty consistently uh, and, and regularly. In support of that, we need to apply technology where we can. I mean, sending paper taxes is the most ridiculous thing to a customer. And so you have to figure out ways to manage that. We also want customers to be able to see where the status of the claim is. So where you create some form of a claims portal. Our process and our gates of thinking are always, what will any of this do for the broker value proposition? And how do we make sure that brokers at the very least find out at exactly the same time if we can't do ahead of your customers. Because we just don't want customers coming into your office uh, potentially having a lot more information about where they are in the claim uh, uh, than, than where you, you guys do. So we're spending a lot of time trying to figure out how to manage the digitization where it's appropriate to the claims process in a way that supports the broker channel and provides an, uh, uh, an improved customer experience. So again, claims, you know, efficiency of making payments, uh, receipt of uh, electronic photos, like all those kind of things. Uh, estimating the first notice of loss was the first one we put in the IBAC DX uh, uh, initiative. So I, I'm kind of excited about where we are. There's still a ton to do though. Like the claims process still needs to uh, improve significantly. What I will say though, is we would never think it's a great idea to automatically kick out a check in like five seconds. Like I, I know some in the- not, not like lemonade, come on. You know what? I, I'm not sure we're doing an appropriate customer experience if, all it is is about that immediate transfer of money without even making sure that you're giving an empathetic response that says, hey, are you okay? I know you got broken into. Uh, is everything okay? Are you feeling all right? Are you feeling safe in your home? You know, what can we do to help support 
you through that. I just, I, again, and that leads to the conversation that I know you've had in the industry, this group has had is saying technology isn't the lead, it's the enabler. So, you know, we just, good people, good processes, good intentions supported by technology and that's where you're gonna get the win. And all downloaded and available through the broker's app. Yeah, yeah, that'd be, that's where we wanna be, Steve, for sure. Do you think uh, Woman East will dig into ecosystems? Like that's kind of the next evolution where everything's all connected, the data flows back and forth with body shops into your system, into our system. Is that kind of where Guidewire will take us? I, I would hope so. I, I think we're a ways from that though, uh, Jeff, but I would hope so. The claims process uh, is, is one of those that uh, you can apply uh, some shared data to that can really help move things along. So I, I'd like to see us get there, but I think we've still got a lot of work to do on just the foundational component of uh, claims experience that uh, that's going to take the next period of uh, time. All right. So I have a, I have a question. So two, two part question, uh, somewhat related part one on the, the lemonade side. So the, the marketplace, we all see the stock value looks like it's worth 30 times revenue, 30 times earnings. Um, they don't have any actual net earnings, but why would the marketplace be so infatuated with that value? And then parlay that on top of your last point of uh, tech being an enabler. What do you think the broker of the future looks like in your mind and or wish list? Hmm. That's a good question, uh, Adam. So my, if you're asking me about... I'll, let's start with the first, the part A piece. Uh, I would suggest that some uh, insurers, some vendors, and some brokers have really marketed themselves incredibly well to a sales price. So do I think there's that intrinsic structural value to those those assets that go way past what a typical number because for you know for your audience generally speaking an insurance company sells for roughly one and a half times premium not the number that's being established so if you're trying to figure out for something like a lemonade how are you establishing value it's so outside of the the numbers that it doesn't really make a ton of sense i would have to assume there's been some really solid heavy marketing because people are betting that the revenue that's going to come from that model is is excessive the part that i find and i don't mind saying this just in general our business is freaking hard like it's, you know, there's a reason that a company like a Google couldn't figure out how to really do a great job. And I know there's some of the conversation points are they made more on the, the you know, insurance uh, uh, word uh, as an ad word versus that. But no, they don't want to deliver the service and, and the effort that it requires to deal with the customer experience. They don't even have numbers that you can really call them to deal with things. So, our business is really hard. I don't think that just a full-on tech play, uh, unless you have brilliant people behind it, I just don't see the valuation. That was part A of your question. Part B was, Adam? Well, we parlay that into what do you think the broker of the future looks like or should look like? 
Oh, I, you know what? I, so it depends upon where you want to play. So it, I still think if you're, if you want to be a generalist broker combination of bricks and mortar, solid website, some digital work, that's, that's great. If you want to be a truly a high growth broker with no boundaries to where you, you want to write, you're going to have to train up a heck of a workforce that can deliver uh, a phone service uh, uh, that's beyond any others. You need a rock solid website. You need a really good customer portal uh, and you can deliver a different, but you're going to exclude some of the customers uh, uh, from that. So, you know, my comment to that would be, I'm happy to serve as a company any progressive, thoughtful, strategic broker that's going to deliver in really well in any one of those. If they want to just do a bricks and mortar operation, we probably still have, you know, a solid 10 years of that serving the needs of a good portion of uh, the population. So, I would suggest I just just be great at what you're going to do. Be passionate. You know, again, you guys doing this podcast is is awesome. Shows you're interested in engaging with with other brokers. You're interested in being thoughtful about your future, and you know, ask me easy questions because I'm being nice to you. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. Um, Tesla has announced that they're going to get into the insurance business with their own vehicles. I'm the CEO of Toyota and I come to Wallonese and I say, you know what, our, our vehicles are pretty driverless now. Would you insure the Wallonese? Would Toyota Canada become an account for you? Is this the way things are going to go insofar as driverless vehicles become, is there an account for the manufacturer? And then maybe physical damage falls to the broker and that's it. What are your thoughts on that? If I, my return on investment for an insurance company or a retail brokerage that focuses in auto, it was a 20 year uh, payback period. I might be a bit concerned if you're talking about 10 years out, five to 10 years out, by the time you build up the percentage of vehicles on the road, that are going to be driverless. I, it, I've looked at a whole bunch of the studies, like the amount of vehicles it's going to take to be in that driverless category for it really to hit that kind of snowball of impact. Frankly, it's probably past my, my career in the business. So, and that's, that's kind of the answer I was looking for, Graham, is that you gave me a, a 10 year window. If it was a 20 year window, you might be concerned. Like those are the kind of things that, myself and our audience yeah, you guys want look to see at, you know, like, holy shit, I'm 60% auto. Is this, is this something I need to worry about if I own a brokerage when I'm 30 years old and want to keep it until I'm 50? Well, that's the kind of stuff I need to think about or versus, yeah. you know what I'm saying. I know exactly what you're saying. And I think you're going to have tons of time. The young people in the industry shouldn't look at this as, oh my God, the sky's going to fall in, in 20 years. And Graham saying that we're, we're not going to be successful as, as auto insurance brokers. We'll be insuring other stuff. Like, you know, we used to insure carts and horses and then cars came in and we took on cars. We're a pretty astute group of individuals. It, 
you pick a cyber insurance. If I were to guess what I think is going to be a huge portion, potentially, certainly in the commercial line space, man, how many, how many cyber claims are coming up? The loss ratios on those are terrible right now, which that's not necessarily bad because it means that there's actually a fair amount of activity on those uh, on those events and, and there's, there's going to be more premium coming into play. So it's going to be a bigger part. I, I just think if I were even a 30 year old in the business or a 25 year old, I would assume that the industry will find other risk to take on charge, be successful. Auto is just going to be, it's going to be a lesser of our, uh, of our revenue stream. Uh, our one of our number one competitors right now, funny enough, is our company's direct arms. Uh, we run companies that own a broker. They have a broker model and they have a direct arm. We've they've made a statement that on average they have a ten percent better expense ratio running it. But we're running into cases where rates are fifteen to twenty five percent cheaper on a good number of risks. So for some reason they're pricing it better. You had mentioned that you get one point five times to sell a company, and if you buy a brokerage you would get 60 cents in the dollar if you take uh, 15% commission times four, four times multiples. So obviously your company's worth a lot more growing it on the company side. What's your advice to brokers, uh, you know, to be competitive against a direct arm? So what do you think we should do? I've been a captive agent in, in my career. So I started my, uh, my insurance career with an auto association and ran a captive agency. And I know what it costs to, uh, to run that model. Uh, we do have a U.S. operation uh, that is a direct uh, uh, channel. I know what it costs to run that model. Uh, there really is not a 10-point gap uh, between a, a, a direct uh, or a captive agent and a broker distribution model. I would suggest it's probably closer to the 5% five, 5 percent, uh, range on, on an expense, a distribution cost uh, basis. Uh, and I would suggest, hey, you, you guys see this, you know what the loss ratio performance is between a, a direct-to-consumer arm and a, a broker a distribution function. I, I beat direct with the loss ratio performance of my broker distribution uh, model. So is it a full wash? Not quite, but it's not actually that far from it. So it is just a preference of distribution strategy as opposed to returns on, uh, on investment or on equity. But I, your question, I, I, my comment to anybody in our industry would be you get gains and losses on distribution costs versus claims uh, and it's not a, it's not that massive of a difference in the end and certainly not enough to, you know, change the price by, by 20% uh, as you're saying. $60 million company at 1.5 times is 90 million, but a $60 million broker, uh, say the average of 14 and 15% commission generates 8 million, 8.5 million in revenue times four is yeah. about 30 million. So a broker is worth 30 million, but a company's worth 90 million. So you can see if your company growing your uh, direct arm you control is a little more lucrative, is it not? And, and so maybe that's a reason why some of the people have made a strategy that we want to grow our direct arm uh, more aggressively than a broker. I don't I, I, I don't think so, Jeff. I, if you're asking me my opinion on that, I, I don't think that's what they're, uh, what, what they're doing. 
Um, I, I think it's a market share play is that they want to participate in as many portions of the, uh, of the business as they can to maximize market share. Yeah, so earlier, Graham, you said that you don't think there's any such thing as a, a direct consumer versus a broker consumer. Mm -hmm. So a lot of insurers who had direct arms or started direct arms have said, well, it's because there's this type of consumer who wants a direct. And then there's this type of consumer that wants a broker. So yep. what I'm hearing from you is that you don't believe that there's, there's only consumers, but there is a difference in what the consumer is looking for insofar as experience. Bingo. So the direct mm. experience is what some are looking for versus well, looking for a traditional. So just bear with me here. Okay. So as an experience, what you're saying is brokers need to raise the bar insofar as providing an experience that's similar to direct and with your digitization and so on, you're, you're helping with that. But what holds us back is connectivity. Yep. It's very difficult for, for brokers, even if we wanted to put the money into it, we, we can't deal with 12 companies and provide the same experience as what a direct does. Where is that going and how are you helping? I, I really do think that there is an opportunity for either a, a incumbent broker management system or a new to market broker management system to provide a tool that will benefit brokers in doing what you look at it today and I look at tools like a sales wait, 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 wait. But that assumes and maybe fairly so because you're in this seat but that assumes that it can interface with companies that have chosen to expose their API. If yep. you're you know, a different colored insurance company and you have chosen not to expose your APIs, ding, 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 it doesn't ding. matter who is going to help. There will be enough of us. Reckoning? I, I reckon. And uh, I would suggest, look, you know what, if you happen to have to do more business with me because of that, because I'm dedicated to the broker channel and producing all these uh, available tools and I make it easier for you to interface with me and to provide a customer experience. Like, isn't that part of the game? Is so. by The next API you should expose is a very convenient skimming tool for exactly that game plan. <laughs> like like a little fishing bot that will go like wandering through the book and pay bonuses. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that one. I well, like that that's one. A freebie. That's a free dip freebie. Write that down, Graham. You know what? I, it's a, you guys, it's a great point. I, I think, uh, uh, you know, when I, I, you know, I'm sure some of the vendors are going to be out there on, on, on the lines kind of, you know, a little squeamish uh, when I respond to this, but it is the. We have more people that watch this than just you. Yeah. We're, we're the only guy that like this. So we're like, hey, I think maybe he wants to come talk. Yeah, there you go. I, I just, I, I just don't think brokers are terribly well served today. And I take that from the information that I get from brokers, but also, you know, folks like yourself, Adam, that build your own modules and that type of thing. You guys should be brokers. 
you should be providing advice and advocacy and there should be tools there for you that meet your needs in a variety of different fronts. And it doesn't mean that it's a, a homogenous BMS because you know, brokers aren't going to do business the same way in each of you. Like there's only one Adam Mitchell, Steve Earl, Jeff Roy. Uh, you guys are going to pick your own avenue and what tools that form part of that that you're going to emphasize and use and how you're going to draw business in. So there's a lot of ability to move within that still, but I just don't see, I don't see a, a tool there. There's not a tool out there today that brokers tell me they love. And that's too bad. So you've said that uh, <laughs> so far uh, with 80% uh, of your growth is coming from like 5% of your brokers. Yep. Is a statement that most of us suck. We need to emulate the experience and convenience of the directs. So as a broker who's, should I stay or should I go now? What do you say? Well, so, you know, Steve, you're putting words in my mouth because I did not say that the rest suck. And I did not say that you should emulate a direct channel. That yeah. is a, if you want to focus on a different part of the business and be successful at, I, what I was saying was you can build your bricks and mortar location high touch, low technology, do it amazingly well, carve out a business for yourself and, and, and you can do it. I may find it a little bit challenging to interface with you if you're not going to invest in technology. On the flip side, there's other brokers that are going heavily digital, no bricks and mortar. that are doing that phenomenally well too and putting on growth. My comment was that, look, Customers don't identify themselves as direct or broker. Like if you were to ask a customer, are, are, do you deal with a direct company or are you a broker company? Huh? They, they have no idea. So it's not the customer picking that. It's, it's a, as, as I, I can't remember who pointed it out, but one of you were mentioning, it's the customer experience that today fits better with the direct to consumer model because that's what they've set up to, to accomplish. My comment was, is that, a broker that wants to compete in that part of the business and attract that client should be able to do it in the coming years. And we're going to be there to help them compete for that customer, for the bricks and mortar customer, for the call center customer, for the mix, which it's the omni-channel component is that that's really, you know, I might go online and then there's still not a lot of people that actually want to hit buy. They want to call in and, and talk to you guys because they're not comfortable. They, they're not the experts. You're the experts in, in, in the coverage. So I, I just wanted to be cautious there, Steve. I'm not telling everybody to go build a service model that looks like a direct. It has to have the advice and advocacy component still effective, but I think you can go after more of those other customers with a better customer experience that fits their needs uh, uh, at that time. Did that, did that confuse things? No, that, no, no, that was very well put. Okay. Yeah, that's no, exactly what I was driving at. So um, let me just uh, do a quick uh, shout out to our sponsors here. So we've got uh, crew.io and uh, sorry, Graham, but uh, Gore Mutual. Uh, are both sponsors and another uh, good so, mutual, <clears throat> another awesome mutual for sure. Another mutual. And uh, um, 
they the money from that you've probably heard from our linkedin and the website page all the money from that goes to WIC, you know one of the most worthy causes in canada which we're proud to be a partner with so uh, we're almost at the end of the show here so i'm going to turn the talking stick over to our our fabulous guest here graham and let us let him give us some uh, some closing thoughts over to you Graham. excellent hey well you know what uh, for a closing thoughts and you were kind of asking a couple of questions that we didn't get to and i i thought i'd mention what would be one of my frustrations uh, uh today in the marketplace and I would suggest that nothing is more frustrating for an insurance professional, whether you're the company side or a broker side, than not being able to meet the needs of our customer base. And today, there are risks out there that are orphaned, that can't get full coverage, uh, that are distressed. And as an industry, we need to figure out you know, ways to handle that. I, I, you know, I would look at a lot of the domestic companies that are floating around that are really seem to be focused on making sure that they're there for Canadians. So I, my frustration would be the same as yours is that it, 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 it's problematic. And I would say as an insurance professional, it actually hurts a little bit when we can't figure out ways to uh, uh, provide our uh, policyholders all the coverage that they, uh, they need and want. So I, that would be my frustration. Um, from a going forward perspective, Wawanisa is committed to delivering uh, a, a broker experience that is best in class. So, you know, as I was saying in other parts of this meeting is that, look, you know what, we've made the decision strategically that brokers are our preferred avenue of distribution in, in Canada. And if a strategy doesn't fit within that category, it doesn't pass the gates. So if I were to ask for our brokers, uh, you know, a little bit um, is just to recognize we're never going to be perfect. There, there's going to be stuff that goes on that we either do or hadn't quite thought through as well. Uh, but what I can tell you is that our intention is uh, to be the best in class insurer for uh, the brokering community. And, and we'll do everything we can. We're going to be doing a lot of work on APIs. We're going to keep investing in digital. I'd like to suggest the next kind of one for us to really sink our teeth into is uh, data standards for commercial and how we can then move APIs into uh, the commercial line side of the business. That's still a very, very high touch, even though some of the premiums on uh, commercial are now less than a, an auto policy or a habitational insurance policy. So we've got to figure out ways to get get more efficient at that and provide brokers with uh, uh, with tools that can let them do so. So that'll be kind of our focus uh, in the future, but it'll still remain everything that we will uh, uh, be working on will be with uh, broker experience in mind. That's awesome, Graham. Thank you very much. All right, so I want to thank uh, Graham uh, for joining us and being a good sport. As always, Graham. Thanks, Graham. As always, thanks to Adam, Steve, and Jeff. And uh, hey, guys, open the tap, raise the bar. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers everyone. Cheers. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Graham. You the man. <laughs>